This is a Rooster Teeth production. What would you do if you woke up in the middle of the night, unable to move, with a demon watching over you? Welcome to 30 Morbid Minutes. This is the podcast where we take a 30-minute, give or take, sometimes longer, probably mostly longer, deep dive into various subjects, places, people, and topics of a morbid, macabre, dark, and downright grisly nature. We realize that we can get a little bit heavy. Don't worry, we're going to try to make it fun, and then at the end, have a bit of a palate cleanser. I'm Elise Willems. And I'm Jessica Vasami. And we're back as the gruesome twosome. The gruesome twosome. Mm-hmm. I love it. I think it <laughs> describes us perfectly. Yes, especially the gruesome part. And we are talking about the phenomenon known as sleep paralysis. You might be wondering what's so morbid about this. Keep listening because we're going to get there. And we are lucky because we have someone on the show today who has been directly affected by sleep paralysis, our very own Jessica Vasami. Thank you for being here, Jessica. Well, thank you for having me. I am so honored to be here, Elise. Yes, I do have experience with sleep paralysis. Um, I actually haven't had it since I was in college, but boy, did it happen quite frequently when I was in high school and in college. Um So those feelings have stuck with me. Still remember it like it was just yesterday. I'm glad that it doesn't happen anymore. It was definitely a terrifying experience. I I can tell you one if you'd like to hear it. I would love to hear it. I think it would absolutely set the tone for the episode if you did. So sleep paralysis, you know, you are sleeping and you are unable to move. And uh, but you're kind of like awake in your own brain and you're aware of what's happening. You are aware that you are lying there paralyzed and you cannot move. You were probably just asleep, so you're maybe a little disoriented even. But it's weird, though, because this is the bonkers part, is that you are sleeping, but you feel like you're awake because you are so aware of what's happening Mm -hmm. at the same time. So it's like you're in this dreamlike state, and then you're also, um, you know, again, paralyzed, just laying there. And for me with this this one story they happen to usually be dark um kind of experiences but in this specific instance i was laying on my bed and sleeping on my back and uh, i was going through sleep paralysis and all of a sudden this black dark figure decided to lay down next to me think the best way to describe it is like a dementor from harry potter Mm -hmm. um so it was just like this this uh big tall lanky figure with a black um silk draped over it completely covering the entire thing decides to lay down next to me and i feel myself turn my head to look at it so it's just like my head and its head just staring at each other. It has no eyes. I don't see any eyes on it. And it starts banging its head onto the bed rapidly, just like bang, 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 bang. And it won't stop. And I'm just sitting there like tears are forming in my eyes. I'm paralyzed as I watch this figure just slam its head over and over again onto the bed. And it's in that moment where, you know, what what do I do? What am I doing? And it literally took every ounce of strength for me to wake myself up out of 
this dream out of this sleep, whatever it was, and then um, to get out of it. Like it's it was as if um, something's like pinning me down and I'm trying to claw my way up and out of it. And finally, when I do wake up, everything disappears and everything's back to normal. It's it's horrifying. Yeah. Holy and the and, and yeah. And the effect and like the amount of strength that actually takes to get up out of that situation to wake myself up is is also just an absurd amount of strength. Like, why does it take that much effort? That feels like something out of a horror movie to experience and think that yes. it's real in the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of the milder ones. Uh, I can tell. I'll tell one later. That's a little bit. Oh, my gosh. Scary. That's the mild. <laughs> well, it's it's one of them. Yeah, they're weird. It's 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 not fun. And I don't know why they're always so um, dark. Yeah, because some people do experience. We'll talk about this more. Some people experience the lighter side of sleep paralysis. Yeah. Which yeah. We'll, we'll get to. Um, I can understand why you would want to take a deeper look at this topic, because it's something that affects you in your actual real life. Absolutely. And it's just fascinating. Mm-hmm. It is. It's interesting to, to learn how our human bodies like to mess with us. Mm-hmm. So first, I think we need to break down exactly what sleep paralysis is and the science behind it. So that way we can better understand what the heck is going on here. Right, Jess? Absolutely. And I am actually very happy we decided to do this episode because when I was younger, having these um, I guess we could call them episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know what was happening to me. And so um, doing the research, you know, for this episode, it actually helped um, help me understand better. When so, you didn't understand what was happening to you, were you ever afraid to tell anyone about it? Did you think if I tell a doctor, my someone in my family this, a friend, they're going to think that I'm quote unquote crazy? Yeah, I didn't tell anybody about it because A, I didn't know what it was. And it was kind of like this odd secret that I had that I didn't, like you said, want anybody to think that there was something wrong with me. Um, And I felt kind of alone with it as well, because, you know, you're alone sleeping in your bed when this happens and you have this experience and then you're like, okay, I'm just going to go back to sleep and just hope for the best. And then you go, then you go back to sleep and then you wake up the next day and you go to school and Mm -hmm. you're like, oh, I don't know what that was. It was absolutely terrifying. It did play a role sometimes in me going to sleep at night, though. Like I would be scared to go to sleep and hope that it wouldn't happen. And it happened on a random. This wasn't like a planned thing. It wasn't there was no pattern to it. It just would happen and it would always catch me by surprise. That was my next question. Were you ever afraid to go to sleep because of what might potentially happen to you? Yeah, absolutely. And I just that's what I didn't like after a while is the fact that it would kind of surprise me. But it happened so often that there came a time where I started to learn how to control it. But before we get any deeper into that, let's get back into the science of sleep paralysis. Sleep paralysis is a type of parasomnia sleep disorder, meaning you experience abnormal behavior while you're asleep and while you're at the edges of sleep. So in a specific case of sleep paralysis, as I mentioned earlier, you have the unusual feeling of being conscious yet unable to move, which is terrifying. Mm -hmm. So you wake up and rather than being able to just sleep out of bed or even move your arms or legs, you're frozen, usually in fear or I am at least. (laughs) (laughs) I would be too. Yeah. And this feeling can provoke an intense sense of fear or distress in the person that it's happening to and can last for seconds or 
even a few minutes. I mean, for me, like being in it, it seems like it's an eternity. But yes, same situation like when you're dreaming, like you feel like your dream is like hours long, but really it's, you know, maybe a couple seconds, a couple minutes, same situation here. And it's sort of like your brain is glitching and your body and brain are going out of sync, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Synapses are not firing as they were intended to be. Yes. And so something's happening on a chemical level, right? Yeah. So as we all know, like when we sleep, we want to engage in healthy REM, which is rapid eye movement cycles, because it helps stimulate brain activity and it's good for, you know, our or overall neurological health. So it sounds like most of the time these kind of sleep disorders are rooted in irregularities in REM. Yes. To understand sleep paralysis, it helps to actually look at another sleep disorder, which I just learned about, RBD, which stands for Rapid Eye Movement Sleep Behavior Disorder. I'll Woof. say it again. I know it's a lot. It's <laughs> yeah. a lot. I'll say it again. It's a big one. So RBD stands for Rapid Eye Movement Sleep Behavior Disorder. So what that is, is when you're asleep, your brain creates a false sense of bodily paralysis during your REM sleep. And this is called atonia. And atonia is your body's way of protecting you from hurting yourself while you sleep, especially if you have vivid dreams. I had Isn't no that crazy? idea. I had no idea that this atonia was even me a thing. neither. Me neither. It's it, yeah. It's it's so crazy to think that like it's our bodies trying to protect us from hurting ourselves while we sleep. I guess you just kind of assume I go to sleep and that's what it is, and this is what happens. And the fact that your body is literally sending a chemical through you saying, stay asleep, you dummy. Otherwise you might Mm -hmm. do something bad is fascinating. It is. And even when you think of like the REM cycle, which I think for the most part, most everybody is somewhat familiar with, you know, rapid eye movement. Like, have you seen somebody in uh, their REM cycle with their eyes like going crazy. Mm -hmm. And that's happening in in our sleep because we think, again, like you're saying, like sleep is just like a relaxing thing. We go to sleep. But boy, when we're in REM cycle, there's a lot going on. Yeah. And the problems (laughs) that can occur to someone that does not undergo that cycle in the way that they're supposed to, the the effects it can have on your health. Yes. And so while I imagine that there's a problem if you have an absence of atonia, conversely, right? Yeah. People suffering from RBD have an absence of atonia. And so they're able to physically move around and act out their dreams. So this might look like anything from slight muscle twitching to more complex motor and verbal activities. Uh, some RBD sufferers might even seriously hurt themselves or if you're sleeping next to somebody, since they might thrash or kick or punch because a lot of the time people with RBD tend to have more violent dreams, which they end up acting out. Because someone commit an assault and then use RBD as a defense? Oh I mean, I guess gosh. they would- sh- That's a good question. You would probably have a study done on you, a sleep study to determine whether you actually had RBD. If that's something you can accurately diagnose. Because this is the first time I actually learned about RBD, uh, it reminded me of my friend's fiance. Uh, she went through this period of time and actually still goes through it where she'll like call me and she'll tell me that he like accidentally punched her in bed and like he oh, just God. has these crazy and they're and they're like not nice dreams. They're very, very scary and you know, violent. And she for the longest time just chalked it up to night terrors, which is I think is a is a term that can be thrown around thrown around pretty easily but you know night terrors are commonly found mainly in children yeah. and adolescents whereas rbd is more um in adults 
So I'm going to tell her. Yeah, maybe he experiences that and has no idea. Yeah. And I do think that they're going for a sleep study, which I don't know. I I feel like it would be a lot of fun to go to a sleep study. I think I'd enjoy it. I don't know about you. There's a lot we need to study about you, I think. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) A lot of tests we need to study. I'm just kidding, Jess. It's your beautiful brain. We should know. We should know exactly how it works. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I want to know how it works. Some of the time, I don't, I don't even know what's going on up there. Same with me. So sleep paralysis, I take it, is somehow connected to this RBD in some way? Yes. So sleep paralysis, which is sort of the mirror flip of RBD. So while someone, Oh, okay. Mm-hmm, so while someone suffering from the RBD experience, you know, has a lack of atonia during REM, a sleep paralysis sufferer is locked into Atonia as they're awakening from sleep, be it, you know, half or fully awake. Damn. I know. So a person experiencing sleep paralysis is awake enough to be conscious, but then they have these lingering effects of Atonia, meaning they can't move. Is that <sighs> correct? Yes. Yes. And it's it's terrifying. And and but though while it is scary, sleep paralysis is generally harmless and not really indicative of other neurological disorders. And there are no clinical records of anybody dying from sleep paralysis, thankfully. Uh, so it doesn't mean that it isn't terrifying or anxiety inducing. Yeah. Or at like, all. you would think also maybe there would be a situation where someone has this horrific nightmarish experience where they wake up and they see some demonic, what they think is a demonic presence and then have, it induces a heart attack or something. But we, did, we didn't come across any of that in our research, though. So what might make someone more susceptible to experiencing sleep paralysis? Are there things in a person's genetic makeup or their life that they do that might make them more predisposed to this? Yeah, a couple things. Uh, anxiety, mm-hmm. uh, sleep apnea, narcolepsy. Or if you're just not getting enough sleep, sometimes that'll happen. Um, experiencing bouts of fatigue or stress. So as you know, stress and not getting enough sleep, these are huge things that I think we all need to desperately work on. Mm -hmm. Um, But or sometimes if you just sleep on your back a lot, I know that sounds strange, but something like 20 percent of the population is affected by sleep paralysis. And there's a tenuous connection between sleep paralysis and nocturnal epilepsy due to changes in brain activity during sleep. But there isn't a consensus on this science either. So don't want to dive too deep into that. That makes sense. I think we can say generally there's some irregularity happening in your life that provokes or induces you to have one of these episodes, right? Yeah, I think so for sure. Granted, at least for me, speaking just from my personal experience, um, high school and college, especially when the majority of it did happen in high school, I was going through my parents' divorce. My dad was seeing somebody new, just, you know, becoming a teenager dealing dealing with lots of stuff at that time. So um, lots of stress, <laughs> lots of weird stuff happening. Yeah, you and your friends had to save that old community center from being shut down. That's exactly what which happened. Which I'm sure was a whole a whole big thing. <laughs> it was. I, I saved someone from a burning building. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It was a lot. That dolphin that you freed. Willie, I think I his did, name was. I yes, don't know the I details. Yes, I did free Willie. <laughs> All right. Why do we do this? (laughs) So you mentioned earlier, Jess, that when you've experienced this, you almost have to will yourself awake. And Mm -hmm. do you have or have you had instances where I guess my question is, what do you do? What do you do? How can somebody who's experiencing this 
snap out of it. I want to tell you one of the scariest stories that happened to me and how I actually woke up from that one. But um, as soon as I went to sleep, I heard kind of like a wind sound outside of my ear and uh, it went into my ear, all of this wind sound. And once all of the sound was inside my ear and in my brain, um, a ringing happened and then my uh, like a ringing sound like and then it faded and then my brain started to shake inside itself. But I was completely aware uh, of the shaking. I was like in a movie theater sitting inside of a movie theater watching my brain shake, watching, being alert of everything happening. I'm like, my brain is shaking. I am now in, I'm also paralyzed. I cannot move. What is going on? Uh, it's terrifying. And I'm in my room though. I'm in my room and I feel like I am awake, but I don't think I am because something's off. Have you ever had that happen where like you wake yourself up and you're like, oh, I'm awake, but wait, no, something is still off. And then you wake up again and you are that's yes. So that's this was happening. I was like, oh, I'm awake, but I'm not. It was like in this weird world. And um, all of a sudden, as this is happening, paralyzed, brain shaking, the sheets on my bed start to lift up off of off of my body and off of my bed in midair. And they start to slowly twist themselves into a rope. And once it completely twists into a rope, it starts to float towards the door into my hallway. And my door is open and it is just pure blackness out into the hallway because there are no lights on. This is in the middle of the night. And on my end table, which is to my left, so the door is to my left and my end table is to my left as well. And my I start to turn my head towards the left because I'm watching the sheets in their rope uh, go out the door. There is a tiny statue of Jesus that I got when I was a baby from my grandmother. And I just was always on my end table throughout college and high school. It starts to melt. And as it starts to melt, I hear this uh, very, very deep, uh, dark voice. I The best way to describe it is like a demon voice start laughing and cackling. And um, I slowly, from what it feels like, start to slide off of my bed And I'm trying to pull myself back up onto my bed. Again, I don't know if this is really happening or not. Like, am I really falling off my bed? Am I not? But it feels like in that moment that I am starting to slide off my bed. And it starts laughing and it starts saying, come on, Jessica, don't you want to come play with us? And uh, in that moment when I heard that, I... The but the best way to explain it, you're asking me like how I wake myself up. I guess sheer terror. I it, it, the best way to describe it is I was laying down, and you know how like I guess when somebody goes to like a mental institution or or somewhere where they get strapped down, it felt like that was happening, and I was using every single muscle in my body to try and lift these straps off of my limbs, and I used every ounce of strength I had to just uh, like pull myself up. And then finally, um, I, I, I woke up. That's the best way to describe it is just every ounce of strength to get myself up out of this situation. It was terrifying. Now, I know that you have a problem with anything related to demons or the like. Yeah. And I guess I always kind of got it. But now I really get it. <laughs> now I really understand why that is the case. Wow. Yeah. That's intense. Yeah. The the melting Jesus statue. Yeah. That wasn't fun to see. Yikes. Because although I am not 
religious. Um, and even then was a questionable time for me personally to like, was I, you know, I, I was, I was in the, in the middle of like kind of straying away, I would say from religion, but no matter what religious or not, when you're, when you see that, it's not like the greatest kind of sign of good. You're like, no. Oh, something evil is around. Yeah. You just kind of think that. If <laughs> so. I see a melting Jesus, whether I believe or not, I'm going in the other direction. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, um, I don't know how other people get out of sleep paralysis. Uh, but this is, you know, just speaking from yeah. my experience was just, um, literally fighting, clawing my way through what felt like something is something very heavy is is on top of me and trying to get out. Well, let me tell you something, Jess. If you had told anyone that story 500 years ago, they would have burnt you at the stake. <laughs> um, oh, thank God I wasn't born then. But Jeez. sleep paralysis as we know it and we talk about it in the modern sense, like it's not really that old, um, our understanding of it. Uh, we've been calling it sleep paralysis for less than 100 years. It was coined by the American-born British neurologist Samuel Alexander Kinnear Wilson in 1928. And prior to that, I mean, different cultures and groups, they all found slightly different ways to explain the sensations of sleep paralysis. And these explanations touched on the three main things that can happen during, which are, I think you've you've hit a couple, at least two of these three, Jess. Uh huh. Um, the sense that there's an intruder mm -hmm. and the feeling of fear of something foreign and unpleasant. And, you know, there's sometimes auditory and visual hallucinations that come along with it. Mm -hmm. uh, you kind of had an out of body experience, right? Weightlessness, hovering sensations. That's the second yeah. one. Um, separation between the physical and mental planes. Oh, yeah, and then that's confusing. This one you didn't you didn't mention as much, but this seems to be a common thing. Chest pressure, shortness of breath or the feeling of being like pressed or pushed down that the feeling of being pressed or pushed down. Yes. Which is hence the whole me trying to use every single muscle in my body to try and like pull myself up the whole, um, like being strapped down thing I was explaining. Yeah. And the, um, the feeling of like being pressed and pushed down, there are a bunch of fun historical interpretations about this. <laughs> um, there's a famous painting from 1781 by Anglo-Swiss artist Henry Fuseli um, of a woman in deep sleep with a furry ape-like incubus creature perched on her chest. And it's it's almost like if you were looking at this painting, this creature would be staring directly back at you. The painting is called The Nightmare, and it was so controversial at the time of its creation because, and this is something else that comes with sleep paralysis, the themes of the incubus and succubus, which mm -hmm. are more of like a sexual nature of the idea that, you know, a person is sleeping and generally, you know, a, a woman is sleeping and, and an incubus would come to visit her in her dreams or a man is asleep and, and a succubus would come to visit. Um, I think, I think a lot of this is just how people who were severely oppressed would explain their horniness <laughs> a lot of the time too. Can I there say that? Go. Can I say that on this podcast? I think I can. I think you can for sure. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, we'll get to more of this stuff as we continue talking about this. But Jess, I thought that I would try to make you feel a little bit less alone and tell you about some of the cultural and historical interpretations of sleep paralysis and see if you can find any commonalities in what you've experienced. And also just because it's kind of, fascinating to see the sim similarities 
yeah. between cultures and then also the differences too. The big takeaway is that across cultures, sleep paralysis demons have a lot of different names, but one I keep seeing come up is night hag, which is a folkloric generic name that nightmare, night hag, this seems to be something that has permeated everywhere. But different cultures have put their own spin on this. So in Newfoundland, there's the old hag, not mm. to be confused with the night hag, but I mean, it is the same thing. And this is where <laughs> someone who is affected by sleep paralysis has this feeling that they have this hag creature sitting on their chest and they might have hallucinations. Um, and sometimes there's this, this thought that you can summon this night hag, like a curse to attack someone. I have a question. How would you describe a, a hag? Is this... Is it like a demon-like character? Yes. I mean, if I was going to describe, I mean, I, I'm assuming that they're applying some gender to this because I feel like the word hag, usually mm-hmm. women comes up with this. So I'm thinking maybe you would have like a decrepit, oozing, gross, flubby, kind of covered in boils or other ailments kind of creature. Great. I have a mental image now. In Turkey, sleep paralysis, and sorry, I'm going to butcher this, is karabasan is what it's called. And it's the same sort of deal that a supernatural being comes to a person's room and then like holds them down and starts to strangle them. And this is what's recurring, this idea that like there's some third party that's coming in and like holding you down. Mm -hmm. And did you ever have one of those experiences, Jess, where like there was a creature that was physically pushing you? I never actually saw a creature or felt like there was an actual creature on me. It just felt, I just felt a a heaviness and such a weight on me. In the U.S., especially in the South, um, there's this idea of witch riding, which is, again, it ties into the hag theme of like this, and I think also probably the succubus stuff, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. like the idea Mm -hmm. of this witch that's like sitting on you. And during the Salem Witch Trials, A bunch of people reported these nighttime attacks by witches, but as we're thinking about them now, we can probably think of those in terms of sleep paralysis. Absolutely. That does seem to make sense. Mm -hmm. And like, that's what's really interesting about this too, because we'll talk about aliens in another episode, but people who experience alien abductions or, or sightings when, you know, they wake up and they think they see an alien in their room, this is also something that could probably be attributed to sleep paralysis. In a lot of instances. Absolutely. And I just got to say, just because I'm a person that thinks these weird thoughts, but, you know, there's, you know, we're talking about um, the old hag and all of that. And there's always like some sort of scientific explanation. But what if it's a supernatural thing for real? What if it doesn't always tie back to science? Well, we will we ever know? Who knows? We may never know. Or we'll find out on this show. <laughs> Man, what if we get a we get a letter from someone that's like, you've gone too deep. You've dug too deep. Oh, you know no. too much. Leave it up to us, the gruesome twosome. We'll we'll get to the bottom of it. <laughs> um, in Mexico, it's believed that this sensation um of, of someone lying down on you is is the spirit of a dead person. Mm. So that's a whole other level. The idea that you could even know the deceased. Ooh, that's uncomfortable. In Brazil, there's a legend about a mythological being called She Who Steps and is a tall, skinny old woman with long, dirty nails and and dried toes and tangled hair and staring red eyes and greenish teeth and an evil laugh. And she lives over the roofs 
waiting to step on the chest of those who sleep with a full stomach. It's very specific, too. It's like who sleep with a full stomach. So maybe the idea is like this is a warning against gluttony. Yeah, that definitely sounds like it. Or like acid reflux. Yes. (laughs) Yes, it probably is a parable for acid reflux. Don't eat too much. Don't eat too badly. Or you'll have this this she who steps step on you in the night. This one's different. In Catalonia legend and culture, the Pisanta is an enormous dog, sometimes cat, that goes into people's houses at night and then like lies on their chests so they can't breathe and they have these nightmares. And it's this black, hairy, you know, big pod dog kind of creature. And so that's, that's a little bit different. Different and very terrifying. Mm-hmm. I think one of the interesting things across all of these different cultures and and histories is that some researchers have studied sleep paralysis and they found that a cultural interpretation can vary depending on how religious that particular group might be. So in Egypt, which is an extremely religious country with very, very strong cultural traditions, they might be more inclined to believe in sleep paralysis as being a consequence of the supernatural. Whereas in Denmark, a very non-religious country where people don't usually believe in the supernatural, they might not uh, be so, you know, quick to think, oh, there's a supernatural cause for this. Okay, I get that. But they still experience sleep paralysis. You're just saying that they just don't immediately go to the supernatural. Yeah, like in Cairo, they believe in the the jinn spirit creature that, you know, has roots in Islamic tradition that would come to you at night. But in Denmark, people just kind of dismiss sleep paralysis as, like you said earlier, a, a brain glitch hiccup. They're more likely to just think like, oh, you know, this isn't something that's supernatural in nature because they don't have those strong religious ties is kind of the yeah the connection that researchers have found. Um, I wonder if that's like, because I was raised Catholic, why I was having like weird, why were like dark demonic figures involved? Maybe. You know? That is interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like what came first, the chicken or the egg? Yeah. Sort of thing. There's yeah. also this, this notion of cultural priming that a Balanj Jalal, a neuroscientist at the Behavioral and Clinical Neuroscience Institute at Cambridge University conceived of, which is basically this panic hallucination model. So this model stresses that if you believe in the supernatural, you might be more predisposed to having more and worse attacks. So Jess, if you were very religious growing up, you believed in demons, you believed in ghosts, you are culturally priming yourself to have more of these attacks because it's almost like you're opening your brain more to the possibility of it being a thing that could happen to you. So it is happening to you. Okay, for real. That's that's really bonkers because I uh, everyone's going to think I'm crazy. But in high school, there was like a good two year period where I was just playing with the Ouija board a lot. Um, Oh, no, this is all making a lot of sense. Like uh, too much sense, some would say. (laughs) Yeah, maybe too much sense. Oh, no. Okay, And I, I actually cut off playing with the Ouija board in college. And oddly enough, knock on wood, I have not had a sleep paralysis encounter since. I think we what dust off the old board. On? I think we bring no. that board out of storage, Jess. See, what, see who no, we can find. No, I'm not bringing that thing out again. Yeah, so you probably were doing all this stuff, anxious about these demons that you were communicating with, communing with. And then you oh. went to bed and then your anxiety triggered the fear centers in your brain, which in turn made it more likely that you would have a sleep paralysis attack. This is just my armchair diagnosis here. 
Well, honestly, it's making a lot of sense. And now I feel like an <laughs> idiot because I'm over here thinking, what's wrong with my brain? But really, stop playing with the Ouija board. Stop getting into things you shouldn't be. Yeah. You know? Well, now you're back in it, though. Or get your brain checked. Go to a freaking go get a scan. Maybe you're just insane. <laughs> no, you're not. But I, I am glad that maybe that this episode is somewhat cathartic for you. It is. I've I've actually learned quite a lot. I need to do some more um, <laughs> deep diving into this in my own self, my own brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're we're at the end of episode two. But I do want to ask you, Elise, have you ever had any weird sleep experiences or just weird dreams yourself? No. And I almost wish I did because I am a really terrible sleeper. I have a lot of problems staying asleep. And mm-hmm. so I have nights where I would, oh man, it's like I would give my kingdom to stay asleep, even if it meant having nightmares all night. But <sighs> as long as I stayed asleep and got a good night's sleep, give it, to, give it to me. I'll take it. I'll take that, you know, incubus, succubus, do your worst. Yeah. I wonder, though, like on the flip side of that, you know, and this is something I would need to do more research on is like, am I getting a good night's sleep while these weird, awful things are happening? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Is I it wonder? disrupting I your brain? Hmm. Well, we'll have to look into that more. But I, I have to say two episodes down, this might be the best one so far. This is we've only done two, at least. It's not the best benchmark. But I I think we need to give ourselves these wins. Touche. Okay. I'm having a lot of fun so far. And there's more ahead as we embark down this journey of dark infotainment. And we're covering a ton of topics this season. More, you know, hopefully we get that second season. Everything from body snatching to sky burials to medieval torture devices to weird alien stuff. And next week we're talking about the bodies left on Mount Everest. So stay tuned (sighs) for that. a good one. Yeah. And as always, there's tons of of more reading that you can do about sleep paralysis online and at your local library. Again, we've only scratched the surface. Um, And check the links in the description because we're going to put some of our sources here if you want to read more. Yes. And also, if you have any stories or any info, please, you know, I I would personally love to hear it. Elise would, too. Mm -hmm. Um, Feel free to tweet us at Elise Willems, at Jessica Vasami, and at 30 Morbid Minutes. Love to hear any of your stories, any info you have to help me understand my own Mm -hmm. brain a little bit better. (laughs) So, And if you have any fun Everest facts, send those our way, too. Gruesome twosome out.